About a week ago, there was an episode of the evening show Jeopardy that had a biblical question or category. Maybe, maybe you saw that episode. The clue was, Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father, which art in heaven, blank be thy name. Now, none of the contestants were able to answer that question. It's not that somebody gave an answer and it was wrong. No one even attempted to answer it. No one knew it. Obviously, the answer to the question is hallowed, and I'm sure I didn't even need to tell you that, right? Since that episode aired, there has been a firestorm of comments on social media about the supposed biblical illiteracy there is among people today. And many have said that when it comes to something so basic, whether you're a, a believer or not, you would think people would know the words of the Lord's Prayer, right? Well... Apparently not. Maybe, actually, there's a lot that isn't known about the Christian faith. Maybe there's a lot of misunderstanding of the basic beliefs of the Bible and what we confess in faith. So, in fact, I'm going to use Martin Luther's small catechism to ask a Jeopardy-style clue to you and see if you would know the answer of this, and your seat's not going to buzz underneath you if you get it wrong. The basic truth to understanding the Bible and the Christian faith what is the law and the gospel? Now, that's the way it answered, at least in Martin Luther's catechism, and actually unpacking the basic meaning of law and gospel is really what the Apostle Paul is doing in the reading that Bruce read for us from Romans 7 and 8. So how about we look at a very fundamental truth of this faith that we confess tonight, and let's start with the law. Romans seven fourteen says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. The first thing we have to say here about God's law is that God's law is good. The law of God is good. For instance, it's good that God's law says you're not to murder. It's good that God's law says you're not to steal. It's good that God's law says it's not a good thing to talk badly about somebody else. All of that is good. The law of God is good. But at the same time, the law of God convicts us because we don't always keep what God's law says. The law convicts us every time we don't do what God wants us to do. The law convicts us every time we do what God's law doesn't want us to do. And the reason we so often do what God doesn't want us to do or don't do what God wants us to do is because that's just what comes natural to us, isn't it? 
Let me ask those of you who are parents. Did you ever have to teach your child to disobey you? Did you ever have to sit him down and say, no, I just, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do, but what I want you to do is to say no to me. Did you ever have to do that? Of course not, because it just comes natural. The law of God is good, but we don't always do what it says, so it convicts us. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here for a minute and say that it feels like we are living in a moment in life where all sense of conviction of what is good and what is not good, what is right and what is wrong, has all but vanished these days. There's this sense that you just better acknowledge everything, everything around us is good and okay and acceptable. Well, the problem is, that's not reality. Not everything is good. God created his law, his, his written law and his natural law, because he says that's what's good for us. Now, when it comes to people, we should always be loving and accepting of people. Every person should be loved and accepted unconditionally because God loves and accepts everyone unconditionally. But not everything is good. Not every behavior is good. Not every action is good. Not every choice we make in life is good. That's why God has given to us his law, because he wants what is good for us in life. And because what we do is not always what God wants us to do, then the law at times acts to convict us. You know, maybe before I go any further, I should probably point out that Paul's original audience that he's writing to here in Romans are people who are believers. He's talking about people who are, as he says elsewhere in the New Testament, people who are God's new creation. He's talking to followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, you and I have been given what the Bible talks about as a new nature. And yet at the same time, there is still this old sinful nature that we're always dealing with in life. And because of that, we constantly struggle back and forth between the two, between our old sinful nature and the new nature that God has given to us in Christ. And you know as well as I do, that struggle is real in your life every day. Follow this with me that Paul says in Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who is doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Isn't that a mouthful? I mean, it's just challenging enough to read it, let alone comprehend it. But the struggle is real, isn't it? The struggle is real. If you need an image to keep in mind, to keep all this straight, Celine used it in the children's message. It's a roller coaster. It's what life is like sometimes. The law of God, the word of God, the will of God. It's like we're up and down with that. But not only is that struggle real in our life, the conclusion we reach because of that struggle doesn't actually sound all that good. The Apostle Paul says here, what a wretched man I am. Ouch. It's not a very flattering description, is it? But it seems as if Paul uses that word for at least two reasons. One, it shows the desperation of our natural condition. On our own, we need help. If you were to go back and look at Romans 7, verses 14 to 24, you will count almost 40 times where Paul refers to himself about what he doesn't do or what he should do that he doesn't do. He talks about himself over and over again. He talks about how he falls short of what God desires. The word wretched points to the desperation of our condition, but the second thing to notice here is the word, des- um, the word wretched literally means exhausted. You and I are exhausted from this struggle back and forth of doing what God wants us to do or not doing what God doesn't want us to do. Doing or not doing, following or not following, living or not living the way God wants us to be literally wears us out. We're exhausted. And so that can't help but prompt the question, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In other words, we can't help but plead for help. I can't get off this roller coaster on my own. So who's going to rescue me? Do you see how the law works? The law is good, but everything we do in life isn't always good, and so that law convicts us at times. The law leads us to struggle with good and bad, right and wrong, and in all that struggling, it's exhausting, so we need help. And the answer, the answer is the gospel. It's the gospel that offers us hope. And that's why the Apostle Paul says here, thanks be to God who delivers me through the Lord Jesus Christ. How am I ever going to break free from the struggle I, I have with sin in my life? Thanks be to God who delivers me. How am I ever going to feel a sense of, of living at peace with God? Thanks be to God who delivers me. How can I ever forgive or work through how somebody else has hurt me so painfully in life? Thanks be to God who delivers me. How can I work through the problems in my marriage or in my family life? Thanks be to God who delivers me. 
How can I deal with this temptation that I keep having again and again and again in life? Thanks be to God who delivers me. How can I ever be sure of heaven one day when I think about all the things I have done in life? Thanks be to God who delivers me through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope, your hope, my hope, our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is always in Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that you and I don't have to see ourselves as wretched anymore. Because of Jesus, we can live at peace with God. Because of Jesus, you have a whole new position with God, which brings us finally to Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is your condition now. The word therefore is there for linking the desperation of our sinful condition with the promise of what Christ has already done for us in our life. Therefore, despite the sin in my life, despite whatever I've done in my life, despite the temptations I battle with in my life, despite all of the struggling that you and I deal with in life, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are living by faith in Jesus Christ. And that means that you have a whole new position in your relationship with God. I want you to notice what Romans 8.1 says and what it doesn't say. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say those who have faith in Jesus will never mess up again or make any mistakes. You and I will mess up and we will make mistakes but we're not condemned. Why? Because Jesus was already condemned in our place. Jesus already took our punishment. Jesus paid the price. Jesus exchanged his life for your life. It's why Jesus was born. It's why Jesus suffered and died. It's why Jesus came back to life. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers you and me through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he does, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. That's the new position you have with God. Because of Jesus. What are the two major teachings of the Bible? What are the two major principles of the faith that we confess as Christians? It's the law and the gospel. The law is good. The law convicts us. The law leads us to struggle at times. The law wears us out. The, Lord, the law leads us to plead for help. But there's the gospel. The gospel is your hope. The gospel puts you in a new, right position with God, your heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ. Actually, 
actually Romans 7 and 8 are pretty good summary of what the Christian faith is all about that you and I confess. Recently, I read about two high school students graduating from their public high schools who included in their respective valedictorian speeches a testimony of their Christian faith. For both of these students, when they mentioned their faith in Jesus, when they mentioned how Jesus has changed their life, when they talked about how Jesus has has carried them through some difficult times in their life so far, their fellow classmates erupted with applause and cheers. I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging. Especially these days, I find that encouraging. But you know, when you actually realize the new position that you have in your life because of Jesus and what Jesus has done for you, why wouldn't you want to share it? Why wouldn't you want to talk about it? Why wouldn't you want to celebrate it? Why wouldn't you want to live it? My encouragement to you is don't ever lose perspective on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. He delivers you through Jesus. What a gift. What a blessing. What a faith to confess. What a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.